0: CrossPoint Church's weekly sermon audio. For more information about CrossPoint, visit insidecrosspoint.com. Good morning, morning. Uh, Thanksgiving was a couple days ago, and while we were sitting at the dinner table, my son, who is not quite yet four, looked at his aunt, who was awake and wide awake. Uh, and, and asked her if she was falling asleep. Um, and we were a little puzzled why he felt the need to question her consciousness. And she said, well, yeah, I'm, I'm awake. I'm fine. And, and we asked him, well, why, did you, why would you ask that? And he said, well, turkey makes you sleep. Somehow, <laughs> over the last week, he picked up on this fact and just grabbed a hold of it. I need you all to be awake this morning, all right? I need you to be awake. I don't care if you had a turkey sandwich for breakfast. Be awake. All right, we're in Luke chapter 11 this morning. Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. Brad is in China, or he's on his way to China. He and Jennifer are visiting. Joseph Springer mentioned that. Reuben Moyana, one of our elders, will be preaching next Sunday morning. Not sure what text he will be in, but this morning... in Luke 11. I don't know if we have the page numbers up on the screen. You can find it in your Bible. It's the third book of the New Testament. So while you're flipping there, I'm going to pray for us, and then we will uh, get right to it. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that you have opened the doors for us to gather, not just in this building, but to gather in as part of your family, as part of the people of God, that we can sit here and sing your praise and come before you with all the things that we, that we need, um, that we can also be fed by your word. I pray right now that you would feed us by your word, that you would strengthen us for uh, all the various things that lie ahead this week, this month, the rest of this year, the years to come. I pray that you would instill in us a desire to pray, to come to you with all that we are and with all that we need. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 11 is where we will be this morning. Starting in verse 1, we'll go through verse 13. Uh, to give you some context, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. He's traveling and along the way, he's not going to waste an opportunity to teach his disciples a thing or two. And this particular, in this particular moment, he answers a question that they have for him about exactly how should we pray. So I'll start, I'm going to read the first four verses. We're going to pause for a minute there just to talk about this prayer that he gives his disciples, this model that he puts forward for them. And then we're going to spend the bulk of our time looking at the back half of this section because I think it has a lot of, a lot of important truths that help round out this picture of what it means to pray and how to pray um, so I'm going to focus more of my time on that, but we will spend a good bit talking uh, at least about some of the elements of this model prayer that Jesus gives. So with that, verse 1, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. All right, let's you know, pause there for a second. Isn't that, isn't that incredible? Of all the people that you want to to know uh, how they pray of all the people you want to ask hey show me can you show me how to pray they go to the right guy don't they Jesus God in the flesh is there and not only is it he, he's actually he's actually praying himself he's, he's praying to his father and the disciples pick up on this and they seize this opportunity and they say all right hey could you maybe give us some pointers about how we can pray. There's no better person to ask, and there's no better model than for us to to witness as we read this text. So Jesus answers them in verse 2. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. All right, let's stop there. This is the model prayer that Jesus gives to his disciples. Maybe you grew up memorizing this. I grew up reciting this prayer every Sunday morning. And and if if you did too, then you know that this is not exactly the way you memorized it. Uh, there's one other place in the Bible that, that contains a prayer like this. It's Matthew 6, 9 through 13. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches the crowds how to pray. And, and it contains a few more words. It, it has a little, a little more detail to it. But it's the same general principles. It's the same general themes and emphases. If you read it and compare, you're not missing anything. Luke hasn't, hasn't scratched something out that he just didn't like. In fact, the the odds are actually pretty good that that the reason Luke's retelling of this prayer is different enough from Matthew's telling of the prayer is that Jesus, being an itinerant teacher-preacher wandering all about the Middle East, probably taught people how to pray more than once. And on this particular occasion, this is what he said. So if you compare it, don't panic, oh, Luke's missing something, what's happening? My, my, my confidence in God's word is shattered. Don't let that happen to you. Take a deep breath, right, and, and realize that Jesus has, has been teaching people to pray his whole ministry probably. Uh, it was, this would have been a common thing for them, for him to, to reiterate again and again, and so it makes sense why Matthew and Luke would have a slightly different, different version of it. But the, the main principles here are the same. And that's what I want us to see. So I've got a few observations. Um, you might be a little disappointed. We're not going to parse this thing out the way that you might be hoping for, but I think it'll be helpful. So let's, let's look at a few observations just from this prayer. And I think if I'm counting right, it's about seven things, seven details that stand out to me about this model prayer that Jesus gives. One is that, that Jesus is, is speaking and encouraging his disciples to speak to God with a great deal of familiarity and intimacy, isn't he? I mean, how does it begin? Father. Father. That, that, that's, that's a close relationship, isn't it? He doesn't say master. He doesn't say great judge. He doesn't say creator. And all those things are ways that we can refer to God. Certainly, the Bible does that. But Jesus Tells his disciples, when you speak to God, think of him as your father. Approach him as you would a father. There's proximity, there's closeness, there's familiarity. Another observation, he, he tells them to pray with a certain degree of adoration. Hallowed be your name. Right off the bat, this prayer is looking to the glory of God. It it, it notes and then requests that that God would be glorified, that his name would be exalted. This prayer models for us submission, your kingdom come, a willingness to, uh, to, to acquiesce to God's will, even though it might seem to be at odds with our own. A willingness, a desire to see god 's righteousness manifested in the world and in our own lives that that might be a bit of a, a bit of a challenge as we start reading this. I hope as you see these different emphases that, that you're, you're taking stock of your own prayers, your own prayer life, the own patterns the, the patterns of the ways that you pray, the things that you pray about When, when was the last time you really earnestly ask the lord would you would you send would you bring your kingdom down right would you would you have your way would you do what pleases you with me and in this world would you when was the last time you really prayed that and think of, think that about all these things number 4 it, this prayer models supplication give us this day our daily bread lord would you supply the things that i need and not just the big stuff but even the small mundane details my daily bread I've got to eat today. Lord, would you give me all that I need? There, there is, there's a great deal of dependence there as well. Um, and, and this isn't the point, but while we're talking about it, you know, I, how often do you pray for, for, for the things that you think God really has to intervene in? but for things like daily bread, I got that. I mean, how often do you pray that way? Do you think that way? Jesus is is calling his disciples, he's calling you, all of us, to to depend on the Lord, to come to him for even the smallest details, right? Let's keep going. He he models confession and repentance, which is ironic. Jesus, he needs no confession. He needs no repentance. He, He doesn't have to do that. He's telling his disciples, this is how you ought to pray, though, He he says, forgive us our sins. In in our coming before the Lord, we need to be mindful that though he is great and and exalted and glorious, and though he is our Father, we bring into the conversation some baggage, right? We, We come in alienated from our Father, alienated from God, because of our sin, we need forgiveness. We, we, we need him to, to cleanse us and purify us. But not only that, this prayer models love and grace that overflows from a heart that has received that kind of forgiveness. As we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Now, you, you can read that and say, oh, well, well this prayer is modeling then a way to, to kind of earn your own righteousness, right? As much as I forgive other people, that's how much God has to forgive me. That's what this is saying. No, that's, that's not what this is saying. The, the order is completely reversed. Rather, he's saying you need to pray seeking the Lord's forgiveness and with a heart that understands that forgiveness so fully that you are just as likely to distribute it to others, Right? You're a conduit of that same grace. It's similar to in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. Don't turn there. But in Matthew 18, 32 through 35, Jesus tells this parable of these two guys who owe a great deal of money. The first guy comes before the, his, his debtor or his uh, creditor, and, and, and the guy tells him, you, you, know, you owe me so much money. And, and he says, I can't, I can't pay it. And and he says, Well, you know what? I'll forgive your debt. So then the guy whose debt has been forgiven goes off to another guy who owes him some money. And he blows this guy up. He he wants to throw him in jail. He has had it because the guy can't pay him. And when the original creditor finds out, he's a little furious. And he says, "What, What are you doing? What's your problem? I forgave your debt, which was significantly more, by the way. And here you are beating this guy up for, for not being able to pay you back. And Jesus' point in telling that parable is to say that one who has been forgiven much forgives much. That's the same heart that we're to call to come into prayer with, right? One of love and grace for, for other people as well. Finally, this is the seventh observation here about this Lord's, our Lord's prayer is. Is, is dependence. And I think in all of this, you see dependence put forward, but, but you notice how he wraps it up, lead us not into temptation. You know, it's an acknowledgement, I am weak and frail and fragile. And unless you intervene to save me, even from myself, I'm going to make a mess of this. There's a lot, there's a lot packed into such a small prayer. But you see why it's it's such a great model for us. Why it's such a a perfect prayer for us to meditate on and think about. Not just because of each individual word. Maybe maybe you pray that around the dinner table or it's just part of your regular rhythm that you recite, you pray out loud these exact words of, of the prayer that Jesus gives us. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But this prayer is intended, I think, for so much more. Because of the depth of of what we've just discussed here, just in the last five minutes, it's possible for you to pray this prayer for hours. If you really meditate on each part and you parse it out in your own time and you think through what are the ways that I need to see the Lord's kingdom come? What are the things that I need to be forgiven for? Right, Lord, would you, would you deliver me from temptation in this way and in that way and tomorrow at that meeting? You, know, you see how just knowing this prayer can help your own prayer life to really flourish, right? Martin Luther, when he was asked by his barber of all people how to pray, explained to him that there's really, there's really two things you ought to do or, or maybe three. One of them was familiar, familiarize yourself with this prayer that Jesus gives. And he said, don't, don't just spout it off, but rather meditate on each part and, and consider just what it would look like for you specifically to pray through each of these petitions, each of these emphases in the Lord's Prayer. If you're curious, he also said, know the Apostles' Creed and know the Ten Commandments. That'll get you from A to Z. But anyway, he, he, he encourages right, praying through the Lord's prayer in this way. And so, I think it's helpful for us to do the same thing, to think about it. Just even right now, to think about how this prayer jives with your own prayer life. Um, do, you, do you pray this way? Again, not do you pray with these exact words, but do you, do you pray in, in, in this vein? Are your prayers skewed in some way toward, toward one emphasis over another? Are your prayers all about repentance and confession, but, but you're never really coming to, to the Lord for provision of your daily needs? Are you so aware of God's holiness and grandeur that you want to see his name hallowed and known, but you, but you don't want the Lord, you don't even think to ask him if he would, in his holiness and greatness, deliver you from sin? Do you pray for those daily needs, for every need, for all things, all the time? But when it comes to adoring the Lord, when it comes to approaching him as your father, is that, is that how your prayers can be categorized? Is that how they can be characterized? Let I me mean, think about that. And, and not only that, when we talk about prayer... Especially in church, it's easy to start feeling kind of guilty, isn't it? You start, you start thinking, ah, oh, doggone it, I don't, I, forget whether or not I pray that way. Let's just talk about whether or not I pray. It'd be nice if I started Father and that was all, you know, if, if that was it, that'd be fine. But I, I don't even, I don't even do that. I don't want you to be sent on a guilt trip this morning. That's, that's not my goal, Right? And, and honestly, if I can give us all just maybe a little, a little more clarity here, the issue is not even do you pray or not. Some of us pray at every meal or you pray to start every day, and it's so rote and mundane that you really might not even need to be praying at all. Right? It's just It, it doesn't really serve any sort of purpose for your heart or for anyone else. The question is not just then do you pray or not, like do we do, is, is prayer something that, uh, that shapes our lives? Not just is it a part of your routine or how often do you do this, can you check that box today, but, but Jesus, you know, he's asked this question in the midst of having prayed himself. And you get the idea when you read the Gospels that he's always doing this. He's always praying. So much so that the disciples who are familiar with John the Baptist's way of praying and the model that he's taught, they ask Jesus, would you show us how you pray? Because they know that Jesus, he's got it down. He knows what he's doing. He He is setting forth all these things on a regular basis in his own prayers. Why, why don't we pray like this? Why don't we pray like this? Is it, is it apathy? Is it just we just don't care? We don't really see how the Lord is, is deeply involved in the details of our lives? Is it, is it because we're afraid? I don't know if I can go before the Lord with this. This is stupid. <laughs> or he, he saw where I was two hours ago. There's no way he, he, he wants to have anything to do with me right now. I surely cannot go before him in this state right now. And there are, all, there are all sorts of reasons that we come up with and that, if we're honest, Satan himself would have us believe to keep us from approaching our father. The problem is not approaching him in this or that state. The problem is not approaching him at all. Which is why I want to focus so much on this back half of this passage. Because Jesus, he he rounds out this picture of prayer with a pair of parables. I've wanted to say that all week. He rounds out this picture of prayer with a pair of parables. He gives us a picture then of of just how how we're to pray. He's given us the what. We've seen the what of prayer just now. And and I hope it's been helpful for you just to think and compare your own prayer life to this and to to say, man, I could pray more like this. I need to pray more this way. I can pray more this way. But it's going to fall flat if you don't have the second half of this passage. It'll be difficult for you, I think, to find the motivation tomorrow morning and the day after that, and then the weeks and months to come, if you don't have it grounded in the right mentality, the right posture when you come before the Lord. And that's what Jesus does then with the remainder of this passage. So picking up in verse 5, and I'm just going to read through the end here, and then we've got three points. He said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend... Lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence he will rise Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So then having seen what to pray, let's consider how to pray. And specifically, let's look at the posture that we are to have toward God and the posture that God has towards his children. First, we can and should pray with boldness. We can and should pray with boldness. We talked about apathy, fear, these being things that oftentimes keep us from praying. Boldness, right? That's what we need. That's the antidote. That's the counterbalance to that. And he gives us the perfect picture of boldness in prayer, doesn't he? So let's consider then this this midnight host. In the ancient world, it, it it was a common thing, and some of you are about to pass out on the floor. It was a common thing for guests to just show up. Man, they're not texting you. They're not sending you a postcard. Hey, we're on our way from the Mediterranean coast for a vacation. We're going to stop by your house in Jerusalem on the way home. That didn't happen. There's no phone calls. There's no Facebook so they could be jealous of their their camel tours up and down the Mediterranean coast. None of that's happened. You have no idea anyone is going to be on your neck of the woods. And then next thing you know, at the door, You got company, but here's, here's the other half of that puzzle, and it, it makes it a problem. Not only can you have guests at any time of day, any time of the year, any day of the week, but when they show up, you better be ready. You gotta play host. And so now it's your turn to show some hospitality at midnight with a bunch of stinky, sweaty travelers that you may or may not know very well. You feel the tension? You feel the pressure? Some of you felt that pressure on Thursday. You didn't know they were coming, and they just showed up, and I only got one turkey, right? What do you do? Well, Jesus, he's, he's bringing up a very common story, a very common story thing for them. You go, hey, I'll tell you what you do. You want to be the hostess with the mostess. If you can't be that in and of yourself, you need to have a good neighbor. That's what you need. So you go next door and you knock on that door and it doesn't matter if it is one o'clock in the morning, you need bread. You knock on the door. I need bread. I got, I got visitors. They're here. I have nothing. I have nothing to feed them with. And, and, and what, what's going to happen? Your neighbor who is sharing one big old bed with his whole family, right? That's how they did it. He's now faced with a conundrum himself. Do I get up and go find some bread for my knucklehead of a neighbor? My family, how did you not, you just, you just don't have bread? What's wrong with you? That's like the staple of our diet. <laughs> I got to go find bread. But here's the real trick, and you parents will understand, I got kids in this bed. So don't don't tell me you need me to bring you bread. I'm going to need you to babysit my children after they wake up because that's how this is about to end. My night is ruined. You have ruined my night. It's a tough situation, right? But you see the boldness of this guy, this midnight host, that he would even go to the door in such circumstances and knock. And Jesus says, because of that boldness, because of his persistence, because of his unwillingness to say, I don't know if this is really important, he just goes to the door and that gets the bread. His neighbor comes and says, all right, here we go. You know what? If, it, if it, this is what it takes to get you to shut up and get out of my house, then this is what I'll do. Because of his boldness. He's not concerned. He's not afraid. He says, "You know, what? I know. I know there are some risks here. I guess, but I have neighbors to entertain. I got to get some bread." And he knocks. He asks. He looks for the bread, and he gets it. The boldness of this man is put forward as a as a as a as, a, as, a, as an illustration for us to imitate. What audacity! Right, Hebrews four sixteen says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Right? You, you think maybe as you're reading this you're uncomfortable with this idea that we can be bold before the Lord. You're, you haven't read the Bible. You haven't read the New Testament. You haven't read Hebrews 4.16. We can go before him with bold, assured confidence. Not because we know we're doing it right, this eye, he's got to know. He's not making a friend that night. But he goes anyway, boldly to the door, and he knocks. James 1, 5 through 8 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. James is saying the same thing. If you're going to ask, if you're going to pray, do it. Don't hesitate, don't question. If you need to ask the Lord for something, if you need to go to him in prayer, go boldly right? Now, does this give us license then to just pray for whatever and expect that the Lord is bound somehow because of our boldness to answer our prayer? Well, no, right? I mean, I think, I think the balance of scripture serves to correct that, that notion. The point is not pray for bold things and see what happens. The point is pray boldly for whatever you pray for and see if the Lord will not answer. But, but trust, trust in the Lord's faithfulness and compassion and kindness that, that he, he, he won't just not give you what you need, right? I mean, we, we could go all day running through Scripture to see that the Lord gives to his children exactly what they need and that he allows his children to suffer and even die for his own name, right? But the, the point of this parable is, is that we would go to the Lord boldly. And, and, and you see Jesus picks an example here of a guy who's got a very mundane, simple thing that he needs. I need bread, right? I, I, don't, I, think, I think the idea here is there's, there's really, there's nothing too small. And frankly, there's no person too small to, to not be able to go before the Lord with boldness. He... he fills this picture out and 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 you know even before I say that one one question you may be having even as we read this parable is is well okay I see that maybe I'm supposed to be like the the man who's who's got a an unexpected guest but but wait who is the who's his neighbor with the bad attitude who's that guy is that god is that how god responds to my prayers is that how he hears me with with annoyance and frustration and bitterness? I'll, I'll go ahead and just play all the cards here, right? This parable is not about God. This parable is about you, okay? You need to, you need to know that. And I know this because the second parable that Jesus gives is definitely about God. And it, 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 it wipes out any notion that God is frustrated at us when we come to him for anything, okay? So just, just hang on there. We'll get to that, but let's, let's keep going Jesus, He, as if it wasn't clear enough what he's saying, he says in verse 9, Ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks gets the door opened. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? And, And I think the point of all of that, and the point of everything we've said so far, is this: you should ask. You should knock. You should seek. That's step one. Maybe, maybe you didn't hear me. You may think, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I've spent enough time in the Word this week. I don't know if my, if my track record has been holy enough this week. I don't know if the way that I spoke to my son right now is gonna get me a whole lot of credence with the Father. I, I, I don't know if I have fasted enough from social media to be able to come before God today? I don't know. Now, see, that's not step one, though. You're missing it. Step one, ask, seek, knock, go to the Father. Jesus, he's not wasting time telling you how to prepare to go to the Father. He says, just do it. Go. Be changed as you pray, not beforehand. Go to him. The Lord is more willing to answer, reveal, and open the door for you than you are to ask, seek, or knock. That is a true statement. Even when you want to, even when you are at your best, the Lord is more eager to hear what you have to say and act on it than you are to even say it in the first place. And, and so, let's consider the Lord's posture towards his children, if you, if you don't believe me. What a, what a great question he asks, and he's arguing here from something smaller and lesser to something greater. He's saying, if, if this can happen, if the ant can pick up the leaf, surely the elephant can, Right? This is, the, this is the, the mode that he's in right now. What father, if his son asks for a fish, is going to give him, what is it, a serpent? How many of you have ever done that? Father, will you pass more mashed potatoes? I don't have any of those, but I do have this pile of dust that I collected from the bottom of the vacuum cleaner. That's not You're not doing that, right? And you're terrible fathers. <laughs> By comparison... Right, uh, what I mean, earthly fathers are inclined toward their children's needs, just by default, for, for for the most part. Why why shouldn't our heavenly Father be the same way? And and not infinitely more so? Isn't He more gracious? Isn't He more compassionate? I mean, right to an infinite degree. Matthew six twenty six through 33, Jesus, addressing the anxiety of some of his disciples about providing for their own kind of daily needs, he encourages them, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. All right? The Lord knows our needs. He he knows what we would ask of him before we even ask. So ask And ask boldly and entrust yourself to a loving father. Now, Will mentioned this earlier when he was reading 1 John 3. There's that that Christmas song, Santa Knows We're All God's Children. And there's all sorts of problems with that statement. Um, Probably the biggest is this idea that we're all just God's children, just by virtue of being created. That's not the case. That's not true. All right? That's, that's not true. We have a broken relationship with God. Broken. It is shattered by sin. And that's something we've inherited, inherited, and it's something that we live out and, 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 and live and breathe every day. All right? We, we need to be reconciled to God to become sons and daughters? Are, are you a child of God? Right? That, that's the question you need to ask. All this talk about prayer is really just happy talk. If you actually are not reconciled to the Father, if you can't call him your Father, then, then this prayer falls apart at the very first word. You have to to be able to come to him as your father, which is why I love the way that he, he seals this whole thing with verse 13. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Why go there? Right? We were talking about daily bread a second ago, now we're talking about the Holy Spirit? What? I mean, it feels a bit like, you know, kind of a, like a Jesus juke, like we're over-spiritualizing something here, and I, I thought we were talking about one thing, and now I find out that I just got to be spiritual again. Uh, what, what's happening? Why are we talking about this? But I want you to sit and think, just a second, is it all it should really take, the Holy Spirit. This is a gift that the Lord gives to his children? What? And remember, this is, this is Luke. This isn't Acts. This isn't Romans. This is a pre-Pentecost world. There is no Holy Spirit indwelling believers. That's not happening. Right? The Holy Spirit hasn't been, hasn't been sent yet by the Son. Jesus is still here with them, and he's saying: if you go to the Father and you ask him for the Holy Spirit, he will give him to you. That's, that's important. First Corinthians 2, 9 through 12. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. You want to receive good gifts from the Father, you want to come to him with all of your needs, you're going to need the Holy Spirit to to understand any of it. You're going to need the Holy Spirit to know what it is that the Lord has even given you. You need the Holy Spirit to be able to come to him to understand his mind. Maybe one of the reasons you don't pray often is because you're afraid that what you're praying for is not something that the Lord cares about or is interested in. But you know what? If you're a son or daughter of God, you have the Holy Spirit residing within you who can confirm and show you and by his word help you to see what you ought to pray for. You know, So often we pray, Lord, I want this, and you know, but if it's your will. And I get the sentiment behind it. I do. I understand that. And, and I think we see Jesus even pray the same thing. Right? Pat, take this cup from me, but, but if it's your will, I'll drink it. But I think so often, that's really just a cop-out for us to not really come to the Lord with what we need. Jesus wasn't saying it as if he's just kind of wishful thinking, maybe I can get out of the cross. I'll say this, and God will kind of know that I'm cool with it anyway. That wasn't the point. He really was okay with whatever plan God had for him and he came in that confidence knowing that the Lord is not going to give me something he doesn't want for me. He's not going to give me a stone if I ask for a fish. He's not going to give me a scorpion if I ask for an egg. We need we need the Holy Spirit. And the Lord, like a loving Father, gives him to us. Romans 8, 14 through 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God. And fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. He's the spirit of adoption. That's what the Lord has given to his children. That's what makes them his. The Holy Spirit. I hope then that that what you're seeing is that prayer... When we pray, the, the, the posture we're to have toward the Father and the posture the Father has towards his children, that is nothing less than the gospel itself, right? When you pray, all that you are doing is reenacting the gospel. I, I'll, I'll explain what I mean. Before I get there, though, there, there's this false assumption that, that the cross somehow purchased for us compassion from God. That that the cross allows God then to, to love us, to care for us. That's not true. It's rather God's kindness and willingness, his eagerness to provide that led to the cross. All right? And let's think about that, right? We, we are, if you were in Christ, you were a wretch. You had no claim to any, any gift that God might bestow. The fact that you're still breathing air and yet an open rebellion against him is itself a grace that no one deserves. And yet, the Lord saw fit to send his son to die in your place. And that wasn't so that he could love you, it's because he did love you. Right? 1 John 3, 1, Will said it. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. 1 John 4, 9 through 10, in this the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God or come to him with the right posture or come to him with the right understanding of exactly how to pray or what we need to pray for or how to make him happy with us at the outset. But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the appealing, appeasing sacrifice that turned God's wrath into God's favor and joy, Jesus became that for our sins. It's like every time you pray, you're reenacting the gospel. Right? We're, we're boldly coming to the Lord for grace and, and finding in Christ more than enough. And I think that that is the only way we are going to pray. Is when we, when we see prayer that way. I'm doing nothing more than, than banking on the good news. That, that the Lord loves me. And I know this not because of anything I've done, but because of his work to send Jesus. To sacrifice his only son for me. Because of that, if he will give me that, why won't he give me all things? I'm not talking about health, wealth, prosperity. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying all things, right? Because Christ is the king. All things are his. And if you are in him, you are an heir of everything. Let's pray. Father, we, um, we come before you now boldly. This boldness is not wishful thinking. It, it's not a last-ditch effort. Nothing else has worked. Uh, we, we come before you boldly. Because we know we we are not worthy to enter your presence. And yet, you have said that we can. Not because of anything we've done, but because of your Son, because of Jesus. The blood that he shed for us has purified us, cleansed us from all sin. And has opened the gateway of access to your presence. By your Spirit, who you willingly, joyfully, gladly Give to all of your sons and daughters. We confess that that we so often don't, we just don't think about it. We don't think about it that way. We don't think about it at all. And, And because of that, we don't ever, we don't turn to you. We don't pray like we should. We don't pray Often enough, but not only that, we, we don't pray with a heart that, that is confident in your love for us. We pray so often as if we are rubbing the magic lamp, hoping that, that, that we'll win the lottery. That's not how you've called us to pray. You've said you'll provide our daily bread. You, you, you beseech us. You, you beckon us to come before you for forgiveness. You beckon us, frail and fragile and weak, to to desire to see your name glorified. Who are we that we should be given such a gift? Lord, I ask that you would strengthen all of us as a church family, um, as individuals. I pray that you would make us a praying people. Not just because prayer is, is... Something we need to do—it's a spiritual discipline that you you outline for us in your word. But because prayer is 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 the gospel in short form, and if we're not praying, it might be because we we don't understand the gospel. Lord, help us to understand your gospel. Help us to see the wealth. That, that is at our disposal. The Holy Spirit that, who you have given to us by whom we can call you our Father. Lord, open our eyes. May we pray fervently, faithfully, regularly, joyfully because of your great love for us. So now as we, as we sing and as we go, I, I pray that you would be glorified, that your name would be hallowed, and that even for just a moment, your kingdom would dwell among us as we think about the, the bigger picture of all that you have for your people in Christ. I ask it in Jesus' name, amen.